0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. If you are here for the first time, you're kind of here as we're wrapping up a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 through chapter uh, seven. And uh, today we begin, it's, it's really like we have rounded third and we're coming into home base. Jesus is bringing the sermon home at this point. Uh, what we're going to see today is for the next three weeks, we're going to see how Jesus concludes uh, this sermon and he concludes with a, a lot of application and a lot of call to response and that's what we're going to see today. So, Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. You could pull it out and turn to page 474. We're only going to look at three verses today, but it may help you to have that open and read along. You'll be able to track with us, Matthew 7, verses 12 through 14. Uh, And as well, if you have any questions as we're going through this text, you could text, uh, text those in and uh, we will seek to answer those uh, on the podcast this week. We have a Q&A kind of podcast that comes out on uh, Wednesdays that you can find on the church website. Okay, Matthew 7, verses 12 through 14. Uh, this is God's word to us. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets... Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Let's pray. Lord, We read this text and there is just instantly leaping off the page a sobriety to these words of the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would clear the distraction, and that you would help us to hear what you are saying to us through this scripture, this this most important uh, scripture. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. I pray that you would grant the gift of faith. Uh, And that you would uh, speak, grant the gift of new life as well as we uh, study this passage. Teach us today, for we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, one of the more familiar verses in all the Bible, uh, certainly all the Sermon on the Mount, but maybe all the Bible, is verse 12, isn't it? For whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's kind of called the golden rule. Um, similar teachings are found elsewhere Uh, what is revolutionary about Jesus's teaching is that his was positive some others had said don't do you know if you wouldn't want somebody to do something to you avoid doing that to them Uh, but Jesus is not negative in in his presentation of this idea but he is positive you go and do for others what you would want to be done for you you treat others in a positive way the way you would want to be treated you extend his love to other people and he says it serves as a summary for this uh, for this is the law and the prophets oftentimes uh, it's it's difficult for uh, Bible scholars to to sort of determine how does this verse fit? It's the golden rule. And then following this, beginning in 13, it's very clear that 13 to the end of the book, verse 29, is a section, which I'll point out in a minute. It's a section with very common themes. So 13 to 29 goes together. Where does 12 go? Does 12 go with the ask and seek and knock? Or is 12 just sort of this... Uh, random statement on its own? Well, I think verse 12 is a summary. It's the last ethical teaching that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount. It's his closing ethical exhortation before he gets to respond. So his closing ethical exhortation is if you do for others what you would want them to do for you, you have, you're have you living out the law and the prophets and you're living out everything we've read before. Everything about not judging, everything about being merciful, everything about giving in secret, everything about praying, everything about not worrying. But All of that will be taken care of if we are able by God's power to live out treating other people the way we would want to be treated. At least the horizontal aspect of all of the ethics are found there. And then in verse 13 we get to this final section where Jesus is calling his listeners to respond. Throughout the entire sermon, he has been contrasting the kingdom of God with, uh, I would say, the kingdom of man. Its expression uh, here in its context is the, uh, the work of the Pharisees. He's contrasting the kingdom of God with the religious leaders' teaching of his day. But their their teaching was very much man-made. They had added to the scripture, and though, though they were religious... Their teaching was very much man made. It was the kingdom of humanity. It was man's way. It was the way humans determine life should be lived. And Jesus is crashing in on that party and saying, No, this is how the kingdom of God is. So he has been contrasting these two ideas throughout. But now he is going to call people to make a clear choice. He is not vague. He is coming to the end, and in a focused way, he is going to call for a response. This is what he's going to say Are you for me or are you against me? That's what he says to everyone in the room today. Are you for Jesus? Are you with Jesus or are you against him? Are you in the kingdom of God or are you out of it? Are you an authentic disciple? Or are you not? There's only two ways. Jesus lays out binary choices. He does not lay out uh, sort of a buffet of options. He lays out two choices. And we see this in the rest of the book, So, uh, in the rest of the chapter. Rather. So in verses 13 to 14, there are two roads, only two roads. That's what we're going to look at today. Verses 15 to 20, there are two kinds of Prophets. There are true prophets and false prophets. Verses 21 through 23, there are two kinds of disciples, genuine or false. Verses 24 through 27, there are only two foundations upon which you can build your life. You can build on a rock or you can build on sand. There are only two ways you are with Jesus or you are not. And this is how he concludes all this teaching in the kingdom. He lays out all this teaching in the kingdom, and then at the end he says, this is not an interesting lecture. Uh, this is not me sharing my philosophy of life. Jesus is saying, you only have two options. You are with me or you are not. And his first example is the two ways. It starts with the two gates. Look at these words in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. We don't like that word. But that's the word he uses, the narrow gate. It's small. It's confining. It isn't wide. And so many people easily miss it. I remember one time driving, I was getting instructions to go somewhere, and it was being told, I don't think GPS worked here, and it was, or it wasn't reliable, and uh, it was like, okay, this, go down this country road, and you ca- don't drive fast because there's this small little red flag that's right in front of the gate to our property, and it's not very big. And it was like, the point was, if you are not paying attention, you will miss it. And that's the case with Jesus. There is, he's teaching there is this narrow, narrow gate that is easily missed. It's the only entry point into the pathway that leads to life. And so Jesus directs his followers, He directs the crowds, He directs the religious leaders. Everyone that is listening as he points to this singular, narrow gate. and he says, "Enter. Enter by the narrow gate. Squeeze through this slender, limited entry point. One commentator says, "The gravity of the summons." is palpable and it is especially sober when you think about it it is especially sober when we get the contrast with the other way which is wide it's wide the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction so the other way is wide and it is easy passing through that gate well it's a default it's convenient it's natural it's comfortable. There's no squeeze. You just slide through a wide open gate onto a pathway. Well, we must ask, what is the gate that he's talking about, particularly the narrow gate? That is, we could ask the question a different way, because he says the gate, the narrow gate, those who, uh, the, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. So both gates lead to a way or a pathway that leads to a destination. So you have a gate, you have a pathway, you have a destination. So if we want to ask what is the narrow gate, another way we could ask that is how does one enter the pathway to life? Because the narrow way, he says, leads to life. That's the the end point. So what is the entryway to the pathway which leads to life? Or if we want to use really the context of the Sermon on the Mount, we could say how does one enter the kingdom? How does one enter the kingdom? Well, the narrow gate is probably best understood as Jesus himself, the king. He is the entry point. Now, here he doesn't call himself the gate. He doesn't flesh that out, but he does elsewhere describe himself that way. In John 10, he says, I am the door. In John 14, he says, no one comes to the Father but by me. He says, you cannot reach God unless you come through me. I am the entry. I am the path. I am the way to the Father, and there is no other way. This is what he says. The gate is narrow because Jesus is claiming that he is the only way. He makes it clear to come into the kingdom, we must come through him. Elsewhere, he teaches we must turn from ourselves. We must turn from our sin. We must turn from our religious good works, our religious preferences. We must leave everything behind and come through him, come through the gate. Elsewhere, he says, it's costly to enter the gate. At one point, Jesus says, uh, deny yourself. You feel the squeeze in the gate. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This is what he says. He is the entry point. You cannot make it to the end point, the destination of life, certainly eternal life. You cannot make it unless you enter the right gate, and he is the way. There are only two ways. The narrow gate is Jesus. Well, what is the broad gate? The broad gate is all other ways, all other religions, all other philosophies, all other beliefs. All other lifestyles, all other worldviews, all other uh, un- all other forms of unbelief. That's the Broadway. Every other way. Commentator Scott McKnight, who comments on the Sermon on the Mount, says, "This sorting of all people into two groups is a brutal idea in our culture." But we can't soften. The rigor of Jesus' words, he says. It's brutal. It's brutal. But we dare not soften his words. You are with him. That is, you, have, uh, you are, have entered the gate and believed in him. Or you have entered the broad gate. You are on the pathway to life. Or you are on the pathway to destruction. Let me just say, maybe you are here and this idea, maybe you're here considering Christianity even, or maybe you've been coming to church and you're questioning Christianity, and this idea that Jesus is the only way is hard for you. You know, you know people, and I do too, from other religions that are really good people. You know people who are irreligious who hold no apparent faith that are really good people. And you look at this and you say how can how can Christians make such an exclusive claim that only their way is the way that only their truth is the truth? W- why would Jesus make that sort of claim? I mean maybe you hear this idea and you see that say that idea seems arrogant to claim to be the only ones who have the truth it's 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 an intolerant view of others you say or maybe you even find it offensive that idea is offensive to me can i say i get that it is an unusual idea it is a strange idea in our world today it is a strange idea and you're not alone in thinking that this is a concerning idea the uh, Canadian magazine, McLean's, the McLean's version for Canada, uh, ran an article. Now, I'm not sure uh, that the stats would be the same in the U.S., but we're both basically, our, our cultures basically function off the same sort of Western secular um ideologies, broadly speaking. So we're very, very similar that way, I would say. And they ran an article, said, how it was called, How Canadian Are You? Eh? I added the last part. But it said, How Canadian Are You? And uh, so they asked a series of questions, say, you know, how, how do, do you think like other Canadians? And one of the things that would determine how Canadian you were was, uh, what kind of people were you most uncomfortable with? of those polled in Canada said they were most uncomfortable with evangelical Christians. It was a similar number to being uncomfortable being with drug addicts or child abusers. It was a similar number. And and the reason was primarily because Christians are viewed as narrow-minded bigots who believe that their way is the only right way. So that's what, that's what was uncomfortable. It's an, a view that would make many uncomfortable. In, in Western culture, we aren't comfortable with the idea of exclusivism, which is Jesus' teaching here and the Christian point of view that there's only one way, there's only one narrow gate, and everything else comes under the broad gate. That Jesus says, I am the, the a definite article, I am the way. I am the truth. That's an exclusive claim. And our culture, we're, we, we prefer, and you may as well, prefer inclusivism. Inclusivism is the idea that, well, all religions are truthful. And essentially, essentially broadly speaking, all religions um, lead to the same place. They have the same general values and purpose. They all lead to the same destination and the same place, and they really only differ in their particulars. But generally speaking, all religions are true, and all religions are the same, and therefore to, to, it's an inclusive idea. So, rather, so to exclude and say one is true is not something that's readily accepted. In his book, The Problem of God, author Mark Clark writes... Uh, in kind of a memorable way, uh, about inclusivism. And he says, if you want to understand inclusivism, consider a scene from the comedy movie Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. If you haven't seen it, he writes, Ricky is a professional race car driver whose car crashes during a race. Thinking he's on fire, he runs around the track in his underwear, crying out for help help me Jesus, help me Jewish God, help me Allah, help me Tom Cruise, use your witchcraft on me to get the fire off of me, help me Oprah Winfrey. In other words, Clark writes, when it comes to God, you'd best hedge your bets. Elsewhere in the book, he quotes Oprah Winfrey who says, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. That is, uh, I think her articulation there fairly represents what many feel. And again, maybe that's something you are inclined to. You're sympathetic to that idea, perhaps, Inclusivism affirms the truth of all religions. Now, I do want to say that we we do want to vigorously, as a Christian, I want to say that Christians should vigorously affirm in the pluralistic society that we live in, vigorously affirm the right of everyone to practice their faith in our culture, in our country. So. We don't say that exclusively viewing an exclusive truth is to diminish the freedom of others to believe what they want. And I would go beyond that and say we should actually befriend and we should actually dialogue with those of other beliefs. Not only should we be speaking with them and befriending them, not speaking at them, but befriending them. Not only should we be befriending people of other beliefs, but we should always speak to them We should always speak with them, and in a context like right now, especially, we should always speak of them with respect and with civility. But if we're to follow the teachings of Jesus, we will affirm everyone's right to practice what they believe. We will dialogue with respect, but we will affirm that there is only one way to eternal life, and that is through Jesus, we will affirm that the Bible is true and that we don't have options if we are under his lordship to say there are many different ways. One last thing before we look at the pathway I would want to say is that if you do hold more of an, if if you're sympathetic to more of the inclusive view represented by Oprah's quote and uh, represented largely in our culture, um, your intent may be well, I'm sure your intent is to not be judgmental, to not be offensive towards others. But I would, as a friend, cons- uh, you know encourage you to consider that your view is also exclusive in some way. It really is. There's no one that can escape escape exclusivity in their view at some level. In saying that the exclusivist, can't be right about his or her claim that Jesus is the only way, you are no longer truly inclusive, for you are excluding the exclusivist. If you say that it can't be true that Jesus is the only way, then you too make a truth claim, just like the exclusivist does. We all make truth claims. The inclusivist says it's wrong for someone to claim that they have the truth about religion and say that other people are wrong, and yet that's what the inclusivist does as well. We do the same thing. He says, I have the truth, and the truth is that all religions are generally the same. All religions are true, and if you disagree, you are wrong. The exclusivist says, I have a way of thinking about religion and other people are wrong. The inclusivist also says, I have a way of thinking about religion and the others, particularly the exclusivist, are wrong. Oprah says, my religious views are right and yours are wrong. She opened the statement with it, it is a mistake to say there is only one way. So she too is exclusive in a sense and I don't point that out to minimize Jesus' statements, but just to say that before we reject Jesus' claim to only one way, that that we reject the idea that someone could say my view is right and others are wrong, I just merely want to point out that the, the inclusivist tends to do the exact same thing. I'm not trying to soften the blow of Christ's words. They could hardly be stronger. He is saying, I am the gate, and elsewhere he says, I'm the only way to God. He also says there are two ways, you notice here. There, the two ways means there are two paths. There are two roadways. It's, it's the typical metaphor of a journey, a spiritual journey. So you enter a gate, and then you are on a path. One way, he says, verse 13, is the, wide, the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to Destruction. So there is one way, he says, that leads to destruction. There is another way that he says is hard. Uh, This is in verse 13. It is hard, and it leads to life. Rather, it's verse 14. It is hard, and it leads to life. Now, why is the broad way easier? Why is the wide way easier? Well, perhaps there are any number of reasons. I can't articulate them all. Um, but one way, one reason that the broad path is easier is because the person on the broad path can, in essence, um, determine his or her own way, his or her own right or wrong. On the broad way, you are free to set your own rules, to set your own values. You're free to set your own behaviors. It is a path that feels eminently free. If you don't, everybody on the broad path doesn't believe this, but if you don't believe in objective truth, then the broad path is obviously going to be far less demanding upon you. I'm not saying it's easy, nor is Jesus. It's easy in the fact there's no suffering or no difficulty or no hardships on the broad path. It's just easy in the sense that it's a self-determined path detached from the lordship of Christ. You don't have to become Christ's slave or servant. You are not uh, attached to his authority. He is, after all, Lord, is the term. So you're detached from the lordship of Jesus. And so in that way, there, according to his teaching, there is a certain freedom there. The narrow path is hard, he says. In the kingdom, we are called to submit our lives to the king. We lose our lives, We lose our very lives. This has a narrowing effect. If you submit your life to Christ, as we have read now for three months in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes demands of you. He places requirements on you that are not there if you are on the broad path determining your own way. So the the following Jesus is a restricted path. If you submit yourself to the scripture, you necessarily narrow your options in life. You, you have a narrower, um, a, a narrower understanding of truth and you have a narrower set of defined obligations if you follow Jesus. He's been talking about that the whole time. The whole, the whole section's been about. if you're in my kingdom, this is what life looks like. So he's laying it out. It's not a bait and switch. He's laying it out uh, very, very clearly. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the sermon, just 10 verses in, he says, you're blessed if you're persecuted. He says, on his way, there is persecution. There is this. There is. There is a persecution that accompanies following him. He talks about when others revile you, when they utter all kinds of things that are evil against you, when they say things falsely against you. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. He says great is your reward at the end of the pathway, but on the pathway itself, well, there's persecution, he says. Uh, in Acts 14, Paul, it says, is encouraging some Christians. Listen to this encouragement. He's encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He's encouraging them saying, hey, I know it's hard. If, if you read any of the Sermon on the Mount, that's what you signed up for. It's difficult. People aren't celebrating you everywhere, perhaps. You may be a minority and potentially a hated minority. Generally in history, uh, Christians have been. Not always, but generally. So it's a narrow road because it is costly in the short run. John Stott says the broad way, the wide way, it has no curbs. It has no boundaries. It's a road of permissiveness. So it's the easier road in the short run. In the short run. There are two ways. There's two gates. There are two ways. He also talks about the crowd. There's two crowds of people on this road. The gate is wide, verse 13, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, many people on the wide road. But he also says the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Many people are on the wide road. Few people are on the narrow road, he says. On the wide road, people are doing whatever they can to find security, to find peace, to find happiness for today. Those who are on the wide road have plenty of company on the journey as well. The narrow road, Jesus says, has fewer travelers And like I said, in most cultures, they are a minority group. And while it is narrow and the travelers are fewer, yet the rest of the teaching of Jesus and the New Testament as well would say that the company is few, but the company is sweet. One author author says that the narrow road is a happy band of pilgrims headed to the celestial city. They sing along the way with their view in end, It gives meaning. Singing along the way with the view and end gives meaning and purpose to the daily travel today. It means something. It counts. We're headed somewhere and we'll be there soon. It's clear from Jesus that to follow him is to sign up for traveling a harder way with fewer people on the path. The narrow path has fewer people. Uh, But we probably shouldn't press this. Some people want to say, well, is this determining how many people actually make it to the end and the destination? Uh, I don't think this necessarily teaches that very few people will be in the eternal kingdom of heaven. Revelation 7, 9 says there's a vision of heaven and it gives a picture that the multitude is so great in heaven that no one can number it. So, I think we have to balance those teachings, and I think Jesus's point is here is a parable where he is saying it's narrow, challenging, you can only come through him, so there's something confining, finding, and defining about that. So he's speaking about how his followers will feel, uh, not in all of eternity with everybody, but ultimately what it's like to walk this path in a hostile world, uh, and Revelation is giving an apocalyptic vision. One's a parable, one's a vision. Neither is a census. Neither one is giving us an exact population. So I'm not, I'm not sure that either way we want to balance both of those and say we have to be prepared to follow the, with, with the few to follow Jesus. We also have to have a big view of his saving power that reads Revelation and says a lot of people are giving glory to God at the end of it all. And that, that's the final idea. There's two destinies. There's two gates, there's two paths, there's two crowds, and there's two destinies. The big idea is that both the hard and easy roads lead somewhere. This is why I'm saying Jesus is bringing this home and calling for response. He, he, he says it leads to life. It leads to destruction. These are sort of ideas of how it all ends He's saying your life will end. History will end. And the road you are on will deliver you to a final destination. Uh, That is is his point. That is the big idea of the whole thing. The the big idea is the gate you choose determines the path you travel which leads to an eternal destination. The gate you choose determines will will determine the path you will travel which leads to an eternal destination the easy road leads to destruction judgment for sin elsewhere Jesus frequently in the gospels speaks of hell not not in this verse he doesn't use the word hell but he uses the word destruction and uh, it's similar to what he talks about elsewhere what he talks about hell Jesus calls us to see that we are headed somewhere and it is certain and no one in this room is an exception. Everyone will end up at a destination based upon the gate they entered and the path they walked. Um, Jesus calls us to see that. If, if you are not a believer in Christ, I, I addressed earlier maybe some of the sympathetic ideas that you may share with uh, inclusivism. But here, just know that Jesus is very clearly saying that you are... Regardless of how it feels in this moment, you are traveling a pathway that ends in destruction because it is apart from him. It is a rejection of the loving God of the universe who has come in Christ to offer himself to you and for you. The passage is really a warning. He's he's saying, don't be deceived, everybody. It, the, the wide, broad path may feel good now. It, you may look over at the narrow path and say, Ugh, Wow, that's difficult, or I wouldn't want to be with those people, or, or look at what they have to put up with. Or you, Do you really have to believe that? It seems so constricting, your point of view. And yet, Jesus says, that path is leading somewhere. You may feel like you are in a good place, a wide, spacious place, but it is headed to destruction He's he's saying here, he's giving us that kind of a warning. Don't be deceived. The narrow path leads to life. To enter the path, we must recognize that we must enter the gate, and the gate is Jesus. So we must recognize that we can't enter the path on our own. We need to go through the gate. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus comes to not only teach Uh, these various laws and rules that we find in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the scripture, but he also comes knowing that we break them and will not keep them, and he dies to pay the penalty, the price that we should pay for breaking God's law. So he dies in our place. He's resurrected after three days to defeat the power of sin, to defeat the power of of the devil. This is what he does. He dies for us and to enter the gate we must we must see our need for forgiveness. We must turn from our other way. That's part of the narrowness of the gate is you can't bring all your stuff. You have to take up your cross and die to yourself to pass through him the gate, to walk with him, to be united to him, to come to faith in him. You must, you must turn from your ways. You must turn from your sins. You must also turn, this would be very applicable in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, you must also turn from your religious works, your good works. You must turn from the things that are displeasing to God, and you must turn from the things that you are trying to do to make yourself pleasing to God. You must come to Jesus, the narrow gate. He is the only way. And we come by turning from our sins, turning from our good works to make us right with God, turning to Jesus and saying, you are the only way to God. You are the one who forgives by your death and resurrection. You are the one who obeys perfectly And credits that obedience to me and once we enter that gate we are guided and strengthened by him all the way so Jesus says it's a hard road and it is a hard road but elsewhere he teaches that he is with us in that road His Spirit is in us. We are one with Him. We are in Him and He is in us. So we're not walking a difficult road alone. We have the power of Almighty God to sustain us. The power of the Holy Spirit to grant us endurance. The power of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the life that is now and is to come, which strengthens us each day we also have his word he speaks to us about how to travel the path a good way uh, the good way he provides companions and maybe they're fewer than the world but they are companions along the way so we do this we travel together that's part of the picture that he talks about here. So it is a difficult way, but it is a good way. It is the good way. It is the best way because what happens is once you enter the gate and you get on the path, you begin to live the life that you were created for. If we're on the broad path, we're fundamentally self-determined. We're fundamentally going the way that seems right to us, the choices that we make, that we're free to determine our own way. That seems like the good path, but it's following God. It's following Jesus. That's the way we were created to live. Following the broad path is living the way we were not created to live. And so though it's difficult on the narrow path, it is far superior because we are experiencing the life God has written for us. And it is through the very difficulties that we face on that road that we don't grow farther from our Savior Jesus, that we are drawn to him such that last week the passage said you have a good father. Bring your needs to your father. Bring your request to your father. Bring the hard way to your father so your father, he hears you, he knows what you need, and he answers you. The, the, The very, we just have to go two verses before this to get the picture of the loving father Is it hard in some ways, constricting, confining? Absolutely, but in other ways, it's the freest way to live because we're living in relationship with the God who created us and we're walking a path that ends in a perfect environment, perfected, living in a perfect environment with with our perfect Savior, perfected ourselves, free of sin, free of pain, free of suffering it is an exclusive way jesus makes a demand that we submit to him as the only way but the ending place and that is a glorious that is glorious because the ending place leads to life when jesus returns and restores everything to the way it was supposed to be and ushers in provides a new heaven and a new earth where we will live uh, in a way that is really beyond description. When the Bible wants to talk about it, it just has to go to pictures and metaphors and visions, and it's too, it's too rich and too glorious for human language to even fully capture and describe. So what's the application for each of us? Well, you, you have to make a choice. You, everyone actually has made a choice. Uh, if you have not entered the narrow gate, you have entered already, by birth, the broad gate, and you live on the broad path and Jesus gives this sobering I mean dare we say even alarming call that there are only two ways there are only two gates only two paths and only two destinations and God holds out to you his love today and he calls you to respond to him and to receive to come to the narrow gate if you've not done that To believe in him, to turn from your other ways, turn from other beliefs, turn from your sin, turn from your righteous works as well. And believe in Jesus alone. He, He gives us his spirit when we enter that gate. We have his spirit to enter that gate. We have his word, we have his presence, we have his comfort. He does something in us, but we must say, we must come to that gate. That's what he's saying there's two gates. You have to make a choice. Realize where your path is going and do not be deceived. Get off the easy way because it is not easy. And many find it's not even ultimately easy in this life, but for sure it's not in eternity. So appeal to Christ. Uh, Lord, I, I come to you. I give you my life. I trust that you are the gate. You are the savior. I believe in you alone. If you are on the narrow path, well, let this passage shape your expectations for today and for eternity. We're not to be shocked when difficulty comes. Uh, He said that throughout. He starts with, don't be shocked when you're persecuted. He ends with, don't be shocked that it's hard to follow him. And in between, he certainly didn't paint a cakewalk. He painted something glorious, glorious, glorious. It's the way to flourish, we've been talking about. The flourishing life, the good life, is following Jesus even in the difficulty. But but don't be shocked when difficulty comes. Don't, Don't be shocked when others drive on by and didn't see that narrow gate like I described. The little one, there's like a little red flag in a tree, or usually it's there. But just don't be shocked when other people go by and miss it. Praise God that your eyes are opened and seek to love others and help them see The narrow gate, it's all. Let's travel together. It's hard, and the companions are few, so let's band together in love and support while reaching out to those who are on the broad path with the message of rescue that you are heading. It's like you are in a river, and you don't know that there is a waterfall at the end, and you are floating along in the tube Laughing and frolicking like this is the best, but what you don't see is there is a Niagara Falls-esque end to your pathway. So we want to be reaching out. We actually be jumping on the water, into the water with with folks to talk to them, help them, draw them out with the message of the gospel. It's the broad path's destruction path is life it is good news for our king from our king come into the kingdom let's pray you've been listening to a message from grace church for more information visit our website or write us at podcast at Frisco.org.